What's up? This is Elia Einhorn. Welcome back to the TalkHouse podcast. Today I'm joined by... Nick Dawson, Editor-in-Chief of TalkHouse Film. And we have a very special All Things Oscars edition for you today, recorded live here in Brooklyn at the Kickstarter HQ Theater. A fantastic theater, and we love Kickstarter, and we're really happy that Shouts. we got to team up with him on this one. Shouts. Now, Nick Dawson, you have been to the Oscars. You have studied the Oscars over the years. In our office, you are known as the predictor of great awards. Tell us about the guest that you curated for this Oscars panel. I have to admit, I was very self-serving on this one. I basically, my, my priorities were, I want to get filmmakers slash human beings that I really love, get them together in a room and have them say sort of charming slash mildly subversive things and <laughs> um, just have a, a really fun time, which is exactly what happened. Well done. Thank you. Now, Nick, let's take a moment to introduce our contestants. <laughs> First of all, we have the one, the only, Tom Kalen. Tom Kalen, director of Swoon and Savage Grace. Talk about mildly subversive. Not even mildly, but, <laughs> but yeah. And, uh, and Tom has been a contributor to the site for a number of years, but this is his first time on the podcast. So welcome, Tom Kalen. Next at bat and returning to the TalkHouse podcast after her fantastic talk with Barry Jenkins. Eliza Hitman. Eliza Hitman. Yeah, director of It Felt Like Love and Beach Rats, which came out last year. And, uh, you know, a contributor to the site and uh, an all-round good egg. And a Sundance Directing Award winner. Third up, and returning after a fantastic conversation a while back with Oscar nominee Agnes Varda. Yes, it is Kirsten Johnson. Kirsten. Director of Camera Person and, for my money, Beautiful the film. best documentary cinematographer out there. Bar none. Last, but by no means least, Ronaldo Marcus Green. Absolutely, Ray, who uh, won the Best First Feature Award at Sundance just uh, last month for his movie Monsters and Men, which will be coming out in the fall. And I'm very excited to see how his career goes. He's been a contributor to the site for a number of years, uh, and he's really fulfilled on his promise with this movie. So who knows? Maybe Monsters and Men might be, uh, you know, part of the conversation for the for awards season uh, later this year. There we go. Now, Nick, one thing that I thought was so cool in this conversation is that they go back to the 70s and 80s. We covered everything, yeah. Tom had a, brought in some very interesting historical perspective, talking about the Oscars in the 70s when we had everything from streakers to people rejecting awards to mm -hmm. just all kinds of unpredictable, crazy stuff happening. You never knew what was going to happen. Now, we still never know what's going to happen. Last year, Moonlight. That was, that was a shit show. That was one of the <laughs> most exciting moments of television that I've ever seen. Yeah, no, that was incredible. And, and of course, you know, Moonlight was quite possibly a sort of seismic shift in, in the Oscars. And, and those changes that have taken place in terms of the Academy's membership and it, its attempt to be much more inclusive is something that's discussed in this conversation. And it's really, really interesting. Some great insider info from Kirsten Johnson on that one. Oh, absolutely. Of course, she, she went through an Oscar campaign for Camera Person, which was uh, shortlisted for the Academy Award two years ago, and is, is also an Academy member. So she has the inside scoop on a lot of stuff. The panel also takes in the significant landmarks of this year's awards. Right, this is a big year, you know, with Greta Gerwig nominated for, for Best Director as a Jordan Peele. Beautiful uh, film. Get Out, Beautiful getting film so again. much love. Yeah, and, and the first trans nominee, uh, in Yancey Ford and, and the first female cinematographer nominated for an Oscar in Rachel Morrison. This is, it's, boundaries are being broken and, and things appear to be going in the right direction. Still a long way to go though. And of course, what Oscar talk would be complete without 
a few bets on who's going to win. Yeah, we have people here both going for their emotional choices and what they think is probably going to win. <laughs> Often very different. Often very different. But, you know, you got to go with your heart, right? You, you got to go with your heart. Well, Nick, should we roll this tape? Let's roll the tape. Listeners, this kicks off with Kirsten Johnson and Tom Kalen. Tom, I feel like you have a piece of paper in your hand, so you get to start. My piece of paper has no inclination to start off the conversation. I I actually did homework historically about the 1970s because I'm one of the senior members of this panel, um, and I wanted to think about when the last period I was really excited about watching the Oscars, which was, to be really honest, was which is during the 1970s. So that's the research I did, but we don't have to start on that Can we point. please start with that? Oh, yeah. God. <laughs> well, okay, so I, I was a bad, I'm a bad podcaster because I'm in an Oscar podcast, and I have not actually even seen all the nomination, nominees for Best Picture. To start with all the other categories, I've sort of capriciously seen movies. That caused me enormous anxiety, so I tried to squirm out of this. Um, but Nick, being you know firm and kind, brought me back into the loop. Um, and so inst- instead of trying to watch movies like, you know, I know Eliza and I spoke, and she tried to watch The Post valiantly several times. I failed. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so I instead went back, and, um, and like many of you in this room, I'm sure, have been completely outraged by the state of the country you were living in, and particularly with who is president. Um, I'm, uh, I was a member of ACT UP uh, um, and a, a collective called Graham Fury, which was an AIDS activist group um, during the 1980s, from 87 to 96. Um, and I, um, in the last year, became uh, affiliated with a group called Rise and Resist. And like a lot of you have gone to tons of protests um, throughout the last year. So that's part of the reason why I didn't see a lot of movies because, I don't know, maybe I wasn't in the mood or I was calling senators a million times. Um, so it led me to look back into the 1970s and I just was thinking how far, and also because it totally seems like the Nixon administration. I was about to say, when, Rich, when Nixon was president, so it was like cool Does to go to the movies. Does it not seem like the Nixon administration? Um, so, uh, yeah, so I just, we, we were talking before a little bit. In 1972, Jane Fonda wins Best Actress for Clute. Uh, but chooses not to make a political statement. She says sort of, there are a lot of things I could talk about, but I'm not going to talk about them here, which is a kind of veiled way of acknowledging her history um, as an activist. Um, Then in 1973, um, Marlon Brando wins and declines the Academy Award and sends up a woman named Sasheen Littlefeather, who was a Native American activist, and rejecting the Academy Award as an activist. I remember watching that and being really confused and really interested. Shocking. It was amazing. Yeah. Um, And then in 1974, kind of famously, so three consecutive years, a streaker, for those of you who are too young to remember, (laughs) streaking was the act of getting yourself completely naked and running wherever to expose your naked body. Uh, This man, right before the Best Picture Oscar was going to be announced, streaked. Um, David Niven was one of the presenters. I grabbed my paper so I could read his line, and he either ad-libbed or some people claim that he prepared that the whole thing was a stunt. And he said, isn't it fascinating to think that probably the only laugh that man will ever get in his life is by stripping off and showing his shortcomings. And the audience laughed about this. Um, But what I was really mostly interested in is to discover that Robert Opel, the man who streaked, was actually a a gay activist who later ran in 1976 for president under the slogan of not being just another dick. Um, (laughs) Whatever, and ended up dying kind of 
shockingly and amazingly in 1979 and being a gallery owner who showed Robert Maplethorpe. So anyways, just thinking about the 1970s in advance of today when I was a teenager, because I am now 55, so in 79 I was 17, um, that was a really exciting time to watch the Oscars and seems very far in some ways. Although I'm very curious to see what will happen at the awards, I can't quite imagine Sasheen Littlefeather appearing on stage or someone streaking um, at all. I think that there still is a feeling of that kind of protest that is happening in this current moment and thinking back to, you know, the Oscars so white hashtag and Spike Lee, you know, was awarded a lifetime achievement and refused to attend the Oscars because of the lack of inclusion and diversity. So I would also say that, I, you know, I feel that that spirit is still alive um, and, you know, for me, as you know, as somebody who is just sort of starting out in her career and seeing films like Moonlight, you know, made by peers and friends winning in a film that could be economical and beautiful and powerful, you know, and resonate with so many people in, in a way, you know, I was more engaged with the Oscars this year and more curious to, to see how, you know, inclusive each category would be and paid more attention, I would say, than I have, you know, over the last decade. Right, and that's within the last five years that we're saying Oscar's so white, and then we're in this moment where time is up and hashtag et cetera, right? Um, so I think there is a sense of there's a, a re-awareness that this is a huge platform and what is being spoken from that platform. Um, I became a member of the Academy uh, two years ago, and um, you know we recently got a letter saying there is a new practice um, for at least hearing complaints about misconduct within the field and within members of the community. So the Academy is, of as of January, trying to say you can't necessarily stay a member if you are not behaving in a way that is um, connected to what we believe to be decent uh, human rights principles. And so that's going to be really interesting to see how that plays out in the next couple of years. But that was suddenly like, oh, okay, we're in a new era or perhaps an old era, but we're back to a certain level of um, noticing, seeing what each other is doing and um, people pushing for accountability the way that they did in the ACT UP era. I'm actually curious about the rules of the Academy, how one becomes a member uh, and how do you Don't look get at me. to, <laughs> how does one become a member and, and, and how, and, and what is the voting process like? When does it start? When does it end? Um, yeah, I'm just I'm, I'm just curious. Any other members here um, in the audience? Um, so I'm a new member, and I'm just getting used to it. I mean, one of the things that I didn't expect was just this feeling of responsibility to really watch as much as possible because you realize, like, oh, okay, I know from my own experience as a documentarian that no one is going to watch my movie unless there's some way in which it reaches out into a wider world and what are those ways, right? It gets favorable press and people read about it that way. It's connected to something that's happening in the culture. There are people who are involved in it who people are aware of and want to see. But suddenly, I, I, like, I'm such about 
how do we see the underdogs? How do we see the unseen? And so suddenly when you're a member of the Academy, it's like, oh my goodness, the unseen is literally hundreds of movies but did you get, like, that a you've never heard of. Or a text, I think like, two how, like, people yeah. have to sponsor or yeah. recommend you. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, so, so um, it is a process in which you are sponsored by another member, but I am absolutely a beneficiary of the recent diversity push. So I think when the Academy revisited itself after the Oscar So White moment and said, oh yeah, in fact, we've got a lot of white men members. Because it was 94% male. And 94% they were all male. above a certain age range. Right. I don't remember exactly. Because once you're in, you're in for life, right? White males. Yes. And so, um, <laughs> just to be clear, just to be clear. Um, so, and you know, that's an interesting feeling. Like I, you know, the sense of I'm being asked because they need me as a statistic. Um, and I think all of us have those questions. We say like, am I worthy? Like, you know, I was shocked when I came in here and Tom, you said you weren't in the Academy. I was like, are you kidding me? Like you've made films that matter to so many people that were so forward thinking, that were so strong, uh, for their time and for now, right? How is that possible that you well, were in the Academy? I mean, it's right? super kind. I think it touches on the thing that Eliza is saying. I don't mean to sound, I totally recognize Oscar so white as a political moment. The rest of it, part of what I'm responding to is just the anarchic, unpredictable quality of the 70s. The Oscars were exciting because you didn't know it was going to happen. Like, you know, Vanessa Redgrave stood up and was started talking about the Palestinians in 1978 in a way that was shocking that you don't really see so much now because things seem so produced or considered in a way. Um, and I shared totally your excitement to see Barry Jenkins win for Best Picture because it's a movie I adore. Um, or also seeing this year, you know, Greta Gerwig in a first feature being nominated as Best Director. It's progress. And I, it's, you know, you, you, filmmakers can be very thin-skinned and egotistical and I could be all sad and hurt in 1992 that I wasn't recognized for my brilliance for directing Swoon, but whatever. Um, I, I also have to look at in the bigger picture and be really excited to think about how many movies or, you know, see Get out, which is just an amazing movie, and to hey, see it be recognized in multiple categories, which I adore. Um, so I, you know, I think you, I, I think the progress happens in complicated ways, you know, in terms of how we move forward and what happens. Yeah, I think that there's a lot of historical moments, you know, within this year's Oscar that deserve acknowledgement. You know, with the first female being nominated for cinematographer. You know, there's a lot of, you know, the trans representation. I think that there's a lot to, to sort of think about and consider in this year's Oscars. Well, I remember um, when Catherine Bigelow won for Best Director and I was on a shoot in uh, Utah and we were in a hotel room and we were totally watching because we wanted to see if she was going to win. And we freaked out when she won and we were screaming and then... Also, just like, wait a minute, she's thanking, like, who is she thanking? Like, you know, it was one of these, like, weird moments where she wasn't acknowledging that she was a woman and she was thanking the military. And we were like, wait a minute. But we were screaming. And then this woman came and knocked on the door and she said, um, I've got a baby sleeping next door. And I remember just being like, what is her problem? She has a baby. We just woke up a baby. Like, what's her problem? And, of course, now I'm a mother. I'm like, what were we thinking? Screaming at one in the morning about this thing and that sort of what matters to you when and why. Um, but I remember it being deeply meaningful to me to have a woman win as a director. Um, I remember Holly Berry winning. Um, and these moments where you realize like, that's crazy that this hasn't happened before. And I think 
That's the thing whenever you go back and look at the numbers, it's always worse than you think it's going to be. Which, I mean, I just was at the Cinema Eye Awards and I went, I ended up going through the list and saying how many women, how many people of color in all of the categories. And it was abysmal still within the documentary world. And I think that's the thing that's just really shocking that we all have to keep going back to beyond the rhetoric is just, let's look at the numbers. Who, who's on the screen? How much time are they on the screen for? Do they speak? Who's in power? Who's not in power? And the numbers are still really terrible. So I think, you know, what the goal of the Academy to do and is they to double the numbers, right? year to year. Right. But I mean, in terms of trying to get the membership, trying to mm-hmm. shift the membership, they're trying to double... By 2020. Uh, by 2020. And it's pretty aggressive. I mean, it's, you're in, baby. I, I, you're being sponsored in Thank a minute, you. right? Like, I'll take that, you. <laughs> right? That's what's happening because it's a really aggressive push, and it is going to change the culture of what it is. And, and they've also reevaluated what it means to be a lifelong member. And I think that there's, you know, been an, an Tell effort. us more about that because I, I don't really know. I think they've, you know, made an effort to I could be kicked purge. out is what you're saying. <laughs> yes. They've made an effort to purge people who are, do not have active careers, um, which, of course, I was created. so ready to retire and just watch movies for the rest of my life, but okay. <laughs> so what's the criteria for that? Like, they'll just... I, I want to know this. <laughs> um, I mean, I don't know what the criteria. I think ten years. If you haven't made something or worked on something for ten years, that your your membership becomes inactive. The average documentary film does take ten years to make, so that's going to be rough on the documentary <laughs> branch. But we'll do what we can. Exactly. It's like I've made it in eleven. I'm back in. Um, and I think what's interesting for us, particularly in the documentary community, is that all of these big companies are like, oh, that has value. Yancey Ford's Strong Island has value. Here's a film by a person who is trans, who's talking about a black death that is not about the criminal justice system in the way we've always thought about it, but is the death of a brother. And Yancey is struggling to bring this to the widest possible audience to say, like, this, there was no justice here, right? How does that then, what happens when that gets taken by a company like Netflix and Netflix has a desire for an Oscar win. And that's this weird mm-hmm. zone that we are suddenly now in. You know, it used to be when you made a documentary, like maybe HBO would buy your short film because they thought, like, that's an easy win, <laughs> right? <laughs> you can get an Oscar as a short filmmaker. HBO will buy it after it's shot. But now the whole documentary world is living in this place of, like, oh, you're an Oscar contender with this very original, very strange film that has no other way of making it into the marketplace. It's a very uh, new zone um, that suddenly a film that would have perhaps thousands of viewers could have millions of viewers, uh, which is exciting, I think, for all of us, but also we realize in what ways we are trying to be owned again, right, in all these situations. I mean, when... um, because you make a choice whether you're going to um, be a part of an Oscar campaign or not, you know, because it costs money. I mean, this is one of the things I didn't understand. Like, you would think you get nominated for an award, they're inviting you. No, you have to pay for your place at the table, people, and pay a lot of money, right? So, like, you get nominated for X award. Oh, turns out that's $50,000 to go, right? But it's also publicity, right? It's also your film existing in a wider world. And so that was a revelation to me. And, and so early on, people were like, we actually don't have the money to do an Oscar campaign. 
um, are, do we want to do one and what would it mean? There was a moment where I said, we don't have the money to do this. How can we leverage what we have as um, our karmic capital in this world where I've worked for 25 years and people think I'm a mensch, right? Like, let's do that. And that's what we, we did. And that's part of how it happened. Uh, but you're, you're up against, like you, fee, you can feel the machines that you're up against. And think about the era where people are up against the Weinstein machine, right? There's a lot of, there's a lot of ugliness in that. But I think there's also sort of this extreme odd beauty in the fact that Trojan horses can get in and then sprawling, here we are, and we're on a stage, not unlike what Vanessa Redgrave did or Marlon Brando did, of I have a platform. And a lot of people seem to care about this platform. And I think that's why we're all here tonight is it's a platform and it's hard to get access to, I don't know, a billion people. It's hard to get access to a billion people to make a billion people think this matters. I mean, that's also like, what, what do the Oscars mean also in this time of paradigm change when mm-hmm. we're considering categories, putting together movies that are really difficult to consider well, in the Well, what's the great the Mark Harris strand? book about the 1968 uh, Oscars? Anybody seen it? Literally, it was like Dr. Doolittle, Night of the Hunter, oh, no. I know. So The Graduate, like, for Best Picture. I mean, it's insane. Films that should never have been in competition with each other so were maybe we're having a moment like 68. Yeah, no, no, I'm saying, I think it's always that. I think in some ways, like yeah, think, how you put films in competition. Why do you put films in competition? I feel like for me, the kind of categories that I look at in, you know, in terms of the films that are nominated is that there are films that aspire for truth and there are films that aspire for greatness, whatever that means, you know, and the P.T. Andersons fall into this kind of greatness category, you know, and the Get Outs fall into this, you know, truth category, and occasionally you have a film. Are they mutually, they're not mutually exclusive No, occasionally they are. Occasionally they Can are. Can you give us an example of a great truth film? Let me, let me think film? for a second. Let me think. And that's a kind of exciting, but that's your sort of, that's the way you think about it, yeah. is that there's. Mm-hmm. I don't know if that makes sense. Are there any movies that were totally omitted and snubbed this year in any category? Is there anything you're like, oh, I can't believe it? For me, it was um, 120 beats per minute for foreign film, which I thought was an extraordinary movie and was just, I'm not surprised that it wasn't recognized, but I was disappointed it wasn't. Can I ask where you saw it? Because I, I didn't even know where. Like I where saw it here. You saw it here? New York, yeah. It? Okay. It didn't have kinda, a, like like nothing has a long run anymore no, was, in the it, culture it, we are it, in. You know, I heard uh, I heard folks talking about it. And I was like, it's amazing. What, like where Seven, can I blink and it's where gone? Where can I find it? Um, so well, I mean, that's one thing I would say about that has meaning in the awards circuit and the Oscars, despite all of the questions I have about why we put films into competition with each other that literally have nothing to do with each other. Like what is Faces Places have to do with Strong Island, have to do with Last Man in Aleppo. You know, in the documentary category, they are all sui generis and all really extraordinary films and they shouldn't be in competition on a certain level. But what I experienced with Camera Person was the life of the film was prolonged by the award circuit and by the possibility of being nominated for an Oscar, we made it to the Oscar shortlist, which was just like crazy. Camera Person was like a crazy experimental film. And 
beyond my wildest dreams that we would move to that place. But because it did, people kept watching it. And people who I would never have imagined would see it saw it because they felt they had to see it, um, which is a... You know, I think part of the mechanism, this whole circuit has been created for many reasons, and it certainly creates money for many people. Um, but part of it is how do you keep a film alive when we have so many things to see? And if a film's in a theater for a week, it, you know, it could be a really extraordinary film, and it's dead um, after someone's worked for 10 years on it, and <laughs> it's gone, right? Yeah, but I mean, I think platforms like Netflix are changing that, right, and Amazon. Like, I mean, with Mudbound, for instance, um, which I didn't get a chance to see in the theater, uh, but I got a chance to see on uh, on Netflix, is, I think is, it is nominated, right? Yeah, Mary yeah. J. Blige is nominated. Yeah. For screenplay. For, yeah. and, and for screenplay as well. So, yeah. I mean, this is the first for Netflix? Uh, of best screenplay? Yeah. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I'm asking tough, difficult yeah. questions here. Um, any predictions for this year's? I'm not touching that because I was like the victim of predictions. I'm always wrong. <laughs> right? Like, it's like everyone's like, oh, you're so getting nominated. And it's like, oh, uh, like one of those things that you never expect is going to happen. And then people predict it and you're like, oh, maybe. And then it's like, oh, I'm so wounded now. <laughs> right? So I'm not predicting anybody, baby. Because, I'll, make I mean, small, I think, I'll make a small wish. I want Sufjan Stevens to win for best song because uh, a collaborator of mine, Thomas Bartlett, produced the song. And oh, I and love him dearly, so I want them to win. Um, yeah. I don't. Know, I'm, I will be wrong if I predict others. Mm. I bet Eliza knows though. Who's going to win? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I, I was cheating because I was doing all this, you know, just refreshing, you know, all my information on this year's Oscars online, and I just I stumbled upon a website that had predictions. So now I I feel like my predictions are very influenced by what I saw online, by based on what won BAFTAs and what won this, and you know, it just seems like you know throughout the year these films just pick up more and more awards that feed right into the Oscars. Um, of course, we can all be surprised but I thought that the predictions made a lot of sense um, based on how much attention the films and, you know, the people who worked on them are getting. I definitely live for an upset, and I live for a moment like the streaker. Like, I'm one of those people, like, I love in funerals where someone, like, suddenly starts shrieking and wailing or throws himself into the tomb. Like, I love it when... <laughs> no, seriously, it's like, go for it. Like, that really deep emotional moment where someone is way off the edge um, is I love. So that, you know, I actually greatly wish that Moonlight had its moment and its time on the stage, but the the sort of deep chaos. cultural chaos and confusion of that moment and of the so person weird. saying, like, it's not us. Like, as much as I want this to be us, it's not us. That was powerful. That was really powerful, and it was so hot. It was so live. Um, and that's in the same way what you're talking about, Tom, of, like, I, I hope for that energy where something is not scripted, where people are not advised by their publicists. And, you know... That, gets, that can get ugly when people are not listening to their publicists and talking off the cuff. Um, but it's also revelatory. Um, and I sort of live for that edge of where the hugely scripted thing goes off the rails, which I think we should do right now. I'm just looking at you all. <laughs> Ray, I can only go speak the rails, to the movies that, I, that I've, I've seen. You know, I mean, for me, Get Out was just the, the film for me this year. And I, I just... I'm, I'm rooting for that film. Uh, I'm praying that film gets stuff in it. And it, 
I don't even know what category it lives in, but I just that, it that lives was in the best movie. picture. I'm actually that was actually the movie for me. Best actor I mean, also. You know, I just I, I love the film. Um, best director, I don't remember. Best film. Best film. It's gonna win best, best film. film, people. No, best director too. I think. I Let think me best director. Let me check. I got my list. I'm totally voting for it. <laughs> uh, yeah. It's nice because it's, anonymous, it's an anonymous ballot. No one knows what you're voting for. You don't have to tell people. Oh, sorry, I should right. strike but I'm that from the room. voting for <laughs> And also best original screenplay, both, both director yeah. and screenplay, So, and best actor. Hopefully one of those category wins. Right. Yeah. Ooh, best director would be it out there. amazing. I also think it's worth looking at how it will transform the careers of those acknowledged for first or second feature in the work they make after, which for almost all of us, making a first feature is one challenge, and then making a second feature as a director is an entirely different challenge. Sometimes people are able to make that quickly, sometimes not at all. Um, and also just in how you go from movie to movie in terms of how much money you're granted and the rest of it. To make a movie that gets nominated and because of that promotion also makes a huge box office um, total, then will make subsequent projects obviously so much easier um, and really transform. I mean, you could look at something like Whiplash and La La Land and the gap between those movies is inconceivable um, without kind of the first being recognized, well, his second feature being recognized. That was just making me think I'm excited to see Ezra Edelman, what he makes next. Oh, yeah? You know, I'm just saying, like, it's true in the group of people that I was with in the work around getting towards the best documentary features, like, oh, yeah, I, I want to see more movies from each one of these people. And when he won, I was like, yes, I want to see another movie from Ezra. So I think that is absolutely the case, that it impacts the career of the individual. Um, He's moving into the narrative space, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think totally. it was just announced. He's yeah, doing what a Roberto totally. Clemente biopic, which is, I was like, oh, yes. I missed one, I missed one. <laughs> uh, but I mean, he's I sent him an email about it. Listen, right, but congratulations, gonna, right, you guys. Right, but he's going to make a great movie, <laughs> if you right? you ever decide you don't want to do it. Right, you know? you're right there for him. <laughs> but... You'll be in the Academy, too, I yeah. promise. Um, no, but, you know, I do think that that is very much true, that people are, this is about people's careers within our internal space of filmmaking and how hard it is to make a next film and how hard it is to raise funds. Um, and then I think the public experiences it much more as what do we care about, right? And also the public really doesn't care, Right. They see a bunch of, they see some movies and they don't, like, they don't care about best costume, even though like someone gave blood to create something. Um, and I think those of us within the industry who do the work, it's hard for everybody, even for white men. It's hard to make movies, right? It's hard to make movies and we're doing it against great obstacles. So I think there is something to being acknowledged, to being seen, to being given license to make again. Um, and we don't live in a society that supports artists in the way that it should or the way that it would be wise to. Like, we would be, it would be a happier place if we supported artists, right? Um, and so I think that's one of the things that the Oscars provides is, is saying, like, this has value, even though it's pretending the value is all about, like, how beautiful someone looks or how much money it is or whatever, but the value of here's a big platform where people can say what matters, I feel like we should make predictions. <laughs> go for it, baby. Go. Get you did your homework. For, get out for best picture. Let's, get let's out for best picture. What are the categories? categories. Let's go. It's, the categories. It's okay, not, here we go. Yeah, I like this. I here like a conversation about the Oscars. Best picture. I am so doing Call a me by your name. Documentary Darkest Hour, Dunkirk, Get Out, Lady Bird, Phantom Thread, 
The Post, The Shape of Water, Three Billboards, three billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Get, get out, out all the way. Get out. For me. Are we, are we saying you guys can what cheer. we think we're, we're, <laughs> wait, what are we want? saying what we want oh. or what, what will we want? I, it's just baby. the same way of making a movie. You wish, you, you believe <laughs> you it's going to happen and that happens. And we're putting the wish Sheer into the Sheer force of imagination. Yeah. Well, we all agree. <gasps> Only this picture? That's all we're doing? No, no. Uh, lead actor. <laughs> I think the shape of lead water actor, is going to Timothy Ch- um, Chalamet, um, Daniel Day, um, Call Me By Your Name, Daniel Day-Lewis, Phantom Thread, um, Daniel Kaluuya, Get Out, Gary Oldman, Darkest Hour, Denzel Washington, Roman J. Israel Esquire. I'm it's going. a Phantom Thread. Are you? Yeah, I thought he was I'm great. Daniel, Daniel I can Day. see it, so I can't comment. They're gonna, it's his last movie. I thought he was amazing. Fine. Well, he, he's he, done he, fine. He, yeah. Allegedly. <laughs> I'm sorry. Allegedly, I'm sorry. it's his last movie. That movie is so not... He was good. Time's up. <laughs> it seems a problematic movie. He was good. It is I've so heard. like... I was about it's movie. so he like a year before Time's yeah. Up. <laughs> Just saying. Hey, he was good. It, the craft is extraordinary. Well, the, cra- the craft. The craft. The craft. Craft. But, you know, people talk craft a lot no, no, when they're no. keeping people out who know how to do things right. with no retract, money. Retract, retract. What are the, well, let's go to the names again. Uh, you can't see that. On the, Timoth- you can't see my um, face Timothy on the radio. Right Timothy now, was amazing. Timothy Call was amazing. Call me by your name, Daniel Day-Lewis, Daniel Kaluuya, um, Gary Oldman, and Denzel Washington. What is Darkest Hour? It is him playing. It's Winston him Churchill. Playing, um, Churchill. Winston Churchill. Oh. Okay. Which is, I missed that one. Yeah, yeah, not uncompelling for a bit. For like 30 minutes, it's super compelling. Kirsten Scott Thomas is amazing, but you kind of, by the end, I don't know, whatever. I preferred him as um, uh, Johnny Rotten, I mean Sid Vicious. Absolutely. Gary Oldman. Anyways, um, shall we move to Best Actress, or have we predicted Best Actor? We'd, I did. Who was yours? I was going for Daniel Kaluuya. Daniel, I mean, Daniel Daniel's Kaluuya, Daniel, but I think I there's also a strong chance that Daniel Day-Lewis will win just because That's of that. That's so what's happening, like, but I'm just saying. song. Um, lead Actress. Sally Hawkins, Shape of Water, Francis McDormand, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Margot Robbie, I, Tanya, um, uh, oh God, Sersha, Ronan, Lady Bird, and Meryl Streep, The Post. Silence. Mm. It's like, you know, Saoirse Ronan's not first nod, is it? Did she get nodded for Atonement? Is it? Atonement. Yeah, when yeah. she was a kid. I love that movie. Has Fran McDormand ever won an Oscar? Does that would know? be good. I think that's right. I think Fargo, she would, that's she correct. Won for Fargo? Did she win for Fargo? That's correct. Uh, I would predict that Sally Hawkins has never won an Oscar, though. Definitely and not. We all love Sally Hawkins, although I cannot comment on that movie because I have not seen it. Uh, but I love Sally Hawkins. You were Sally busy Hawkins. being an activist, and we appreciate that. Whatever. Well, you know, um, she's Tom, mute in the movie. A lot of us she's went mute. to the movies yes. when we should have been okay, a mute activist. Like, the author likes a mute they performance. They like a mute so, performance. You know, the piano. The reprise <laughs> of the piano. I love the piano. Supporting actor Willem Dafoe, one of the few nominations for the Florida Project. Is it the only one? It is the only the one. Only one. Willem Dafoe ever um, won? Woody Harrelson, Three Billboards, Richard Jenkins, The Never? Shape of Water, Christopher Plummer, All the Money in the World, Sam Rockwell, Three Billboards. Christopher Plummer is totally going to win for replacing yeah, Kevin Spacey. Kevin Spacey. <laughs> yeah. But um, I, I wish Willem Dafoe would win. Has he never won? That's People. a good question. I don't think he's ever I won. That's the answer he, to that question. Somebody actor. take out your iPhone. That's a great actor. actor. Did he win? Nick? He's yeah. been nominated before, like maybe for Light Sleep. He's real. I mean, talk about committed I to the I would love craft. to see Willem Dafoe win. Yeah, Actually, me too. I'd like to see the Florida Project acknowleded in some category. So let's, okay. let's predict, predict that. Although I'm, <laughs> we are so not. I'm, I'm a little sad that the woman who plays the mother in the Florida Project, whose name Did nobody knows, knows, got no recognition. And for me, that movie is so much a movie about 
how we judge women and mothers and the lack of support and well, the systems that Well, it's got to start by our own remembering women. her name. So the fact this that is he the chore. got we the all nomination. Have to do. We all have to remember her name. Me. Maybe Nick Dawson, you could just yeah. fill in her name at this moment. <laughs> yeah. Bria Venata, yep. <laughs> Supporting actresses, Mary J. Blige for Mudbound, Allison Jenny, I, Tanya, um, Leslie Manville for Phantom Thread, Laurie Metcalf for Lady Bird, Octa- Octavia Spencer for The Shape of Water. I think Allison Janney has the most heat behind her. I don't know. I don't care about the predictions. I'm just over here like what I want. Mary I want J. Mary J. Blige. Mary J. <laughs> I, I'd love to see Mary J. Blige. I love. I really yeah. love Laurie Metcalf's performance, I have to say, in Lady Bird. It's the thing I really like sort of the most about the movie in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. I just love Laurie Metcalf, so it's worth Tough one. Uh, director Dunkirk, Christopher Nolan, Get Out, Jordan Peele, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig, Phantom Thread, P.T. Anderson, The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro. Get out. <laughs> Jordan Peele. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, I'm with you. Yeah, yeah. I said it. I said it at the top. <laughs> you did. <laughs> and I don't know. I mean, we can... Animated feature and animated short, I think. Coco will win. Right, Coco. Coco. Will win. Coco's actually, uh, I watch exactly. it with my children. Very well. good. Yeah. Have you watched um, it with yeah, your yeah, children? I, I, we did. Get yeah, talked no about idea death. What was going Adapted screenplay. Yeah. I'm so bad in this category. Call Me By Your Name, James Ivory. The d- Disaster Artist, Scott Neustadter and Michael H. Weber. Logan, Scott Frank, James Mangold, and Michael Green. Molly's Game, Aaron Sorkin. Mudbound, Virgil Williams, and Dee Reese. Some people do work for a living. A lot of those people really write a, a lot, lot, right? <laughs> Props to them and how hard they work, but I'm giving it to Dee Reese. Same. <laughs> kind of. I don't know. I didn't see three of these movies. Yeah, so I can't vote on, can on that. Um, original screenplay, The Big Sick, Emily V. Gordon, Kumail um, Nanjani. Get Out, Jordan Peele, Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig, The Shape of Water, Guillermo del Toro, and Vanessa Taylor, Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri, Martin McDonough. I, I vote for Greta. I would go there. I'd second that idea. I haven't seen it. I have to do that this <laughs> week. I got a lot to do this week, you guys. Voting closes on the 27th, and you can't, I mean, you can vote in categories where you haven't seen everything, but it is not an honorable thing to do. I can't lie guilty. to yourself. Yeah, I can't you, do it. I can't do you it. No, you got. You got it. You really got to watch everything. So I have a busy week this week, friends. Cinematography: <laughs> Blade Runner twenty forty nine. Roger Deakins. Done. done. That category is done. <laughs> <laughs> Darkest Hour. Yeah. Bruno Dabono. Um, Dunkirk. Hoyle Van Hoytema. I loved, loved Ma- the cinematography in Blade Runner. I loved it. Me too. I, I love really, Roger Deakins, and he's never really actually won. It's really extraordinary. I think Deakins has been nominated like forever and never won. It's extraordinary Rachel Morrison got nominated for more, you know, for Mudbound Making History. It's the first nominee for a female cinematographer. And the Straight to Water. Dan Lofton. I was sad that Ellen Curis, of course, was not nominated at some point in her career. Well, of course. But I mean, I think think any of those of us who um, are part of like, okay, we're part of a team. We're moving the world forward into a different place. It is a victory for all when someone who was not supposed to ever be in the game gets in the game. So I, you know Ellen Karras is totally celebrating. Oh, she's rooting, Rachel. Rachel's. Yeah, totally. As am I. And, you know, I do... It's amazing. I do think it matters significantly. And I also think that the work, you know, that Dickens has done over his career matters. I think completely. Rachel may win this year, I think, for the quality of the work, for yeah. also, like, the double whammy of the moment of not just that movie, but a little 
giant movie that's in theaters right now um, and kind of having a moment overall and hopefully Deacons will come back around. Deacons' body of work is so but amazing. But it's, inter- it's interesting. I mean, I think these are these moments where you're like so sure Rachel's going to win. I know, and then we'll all be wrong. And then we'll all be wrong. <laughs> exactly. And I think, but I think that's the thing about going back to the numbers and realizing like we are still deeply in the minority and there is the larger body of the commercial world of the world of capitalism, of the world of whiteness, of the world of maleness that is like not in a hurry to seed power and not in a hurry to have like young upstarts of like, oh, Jordan Peele, your film's not all that, right? So I think there is a lot, there's a pushback that you don't see coming, which is always really interesting to me. Um, So I I don't think that's locked in a weird way. Um, And I think that's the thing to pay attention to and notice where like, oh, you thought that was gonna happen? No, that didn't happen. I think that was like Fences last year, right? Or something very similar right. where I think there was just like an expectation um, that Fences was going to get more than it got and it just didn't. Yeah. Yeah. Because I think, you know, people have different value systems as we know from the current state of our political situation. Yeah. <laughs> A third of the country supports him. <laughs> A third. There are different realities happening and there are bots. Should we end on, docu- <laughs> should we end on documentary? It seems yeah. like a good category. Uh, so... Abacus, smart enough to jail. I mean, small enough to jail, sorry. Faces, places. Smart enough to jail. Icarus, Last Man in Aleppo, and Strong Island. Can I tell you, has everyone in this room seen every one of those movies? I've seen several of them. Please see every one of those, every one of those movies. They're all really extraordinary movies. And what do you, because this is obviously your area of expertise. I mean, I have to tell you, I, I... I'm really, it's, it's so, this is the thing that is so hard when you know what the work is, right? So that you, I know what Yancey Ford went through to make Strong Island. I know that Steve James is the one who brought us all to this world in terms of making hoop dreams years ago. And he and the Cartemquin crew in Chicago have never been recognized for what they've contributed to the documentary field. I know that Anya Varda is, you know, an old lady who's been making films forever and is a badass and is a really fun movie to watch. Last Man of Aleppo is devastating in a way you have never been devastated and is real what's happening in Syria now and is a stunning film. And Icarus is like people are risking their lives to make the film. So how are you going to (laughs) pick? Go see the movies. Bam! This is how you stay a part of the documentary community, friends. <laughs> the film community. Let us erase the lines between documentary and fiction and say that we are all movies. How about that? Amen. I think that's a perfect place to stop. Thank you so much, Kirsten, Ray, Eliza, and Tom. Thanks so much to those guys. Thank you to Kickstarter. It was such a great night. I had a really good time. Oh my God, I had such a great time. Nick, thank you for curating this fantastic panel. Listeners, we want to hear from you with your Oscar predictions. Hit us up at TalkHouse on pretty much all the socials. Absolutely. Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube, Snapchat, Tinder. (laughs) We're on all of them. Swipe right on TalkHouse. Yeah. And of course, visit TalkHouse.com for awesome daily content 
and make sure to check out our YouTube channel for full video episodes. Today's episode is recorded and co-produced by Mark Yoshizumi, a.k.a. Mark the Producer. Till next time, I'm Elliot Einhorn. And I'm Nick Dawson. Peace. <laughs>